Dan says, my life is complicated and stressful. I prefer my hobby to not be complicated and stressful. Yes, the professor says another viewpoint is someone that has sponsorship means that the sponsors value their knowledge and expertise, and we can use this to make a decision to watch their content. Yes, for sure. Uh, Dan says, I had a wonderful time at the Big White Plains show today. That's what the hobby is all about. Great, good, good stuff. Good stuff there, Dan. Uh, and LGC says, hasn't PWCC turned over their... Ma- yeah, L- PWCC's, like most of their staff has turned over. They're now, they've been owned by Fanatics for eight, eight or nine months now. Um, so yeah, all that stuff there. Uh, and then AIH says, ask ask somebody, okay, I'll just ask Jesse Craig of the shady stuff that went down. You aligned yourself with crooks. Um, maybe I did. Maybe I did, uh, AIH, align myself with crooks. Uh, and, and if I did... You know, the way I, the way, one of the ways that I look at it when it comes to PWCC is that a lot of people buy and sell cards on there. And those people, you know, all I was doing was helping out the buyers and the sellers of cards. But in, in any event, I'm not going to take this, uh, I'm not going to use this show for me to defend myself against anybody, uh, including AAH Sports or anybody else. So I welcome you to keep on watching. But again, all I will say to end this piece of it is if you, have any questions about my authenticity or integrity as a hobbyist, as a content creator, as someone who sets up at shows, um, bring it to my attention. I, like I said, I, I sleep very well at night. I, I have no qualms about any uh, behaviors that I've had in the hobby uh, thus far. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, Vintage Card Collector says, keep it moving, Jeremy. Don't waste your time talking about AIH. Cage <laughs> uh, says, Jeremy, take a moment to talk about how great Timu Solani was, uh, no doubt about that, Cage. Timu was great. Okay, anything else, Simon, from you? I went on for a while there. Uh, you want to you want to kind of put a bow on this uh, this one topic of discussion? I mean, I have some cards at PWCC. I hope that doesn't make me a crook. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like listen, they they get good money for cards. I've sold, I've been buying and selling on there for for yeah. years. Um, and you know, if they did, if and when they did something wrong, I wasn't privy to it. Did I hear about that? I heard rumors. Did I ever see? Did I ever see any evidence? Did I ever hear of a conviction? No. I there's really there's I, I saw no evidence of anything myself. Um, I saw Every- one thing. I will say I saw one thing, but it could have been photoshopped. I mean, until until it's ruled on, I'm not gonna. I don't put any stock in the. Unless there's like real evidence, I just blow it all off as uh, you know, just conjecture and uh, and theory. So yeah, and I PWCC has cards that I wanted, so I bid on them. Like yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to Me say. Too. Me too, for sure, for sure. Uh, Dan says one of my favorite people in the hobby is one of the new PWCC staff. The place has completely changed. Yeah, good, good, good to hear. Okay. And I mean, now they're owned by Fanatics. So if there was any funny business going on there, you, I mean, I would hope to think, and I mean, I'm not going to say I, I 100%, but I will hope that they're going to nip that in the bud and it's done. It's been cleaned out and they're going to practice business with integrity and be above board uh, from here on in. So, okay, let's move along. Uh, one of the videos you did, Simon, was about mergers. You talked about merger, and this is like a year ago. You talked about mergers you'd like to see, uh, moving into 2023. And uh, one of them you said was you'd like to see, it had to do with somebody acquiring ComC. And you you said uh, you think collectors or the you know the, the parent company of PSA should acquire ComC. Well, in 2023, I don't think we saw anybody acquire ComC, but we saw a big player in the space make an investment into ComC and I think just make them uh, a, a serious alliance within the hobby um tell us what you thought why you thought it and what you think of what ended up happening well to me com c was it's a great service it's a great idea and there's no real way to duplicate it because the number of cards that are there have been there since whatever uh tim started the company right like 2007 five whatever it is it's been 15 16 years right and so it's so unique and it has such a wide array, array of cards and range of cards that, to me, it just was asking, begging to be bought out by someone related to, uh, to like, one of the bigger entities in the hobby, right? And so I thought Collectors, being the behemoth that it was, would be the one. 
here comes uh, here comes eBay along and does their thing, and so it's it's not surprising that they that they're working with other people. Um, I just uh, I made a prediction. It didn't come. It came like what half true, I guess, because they did they did work with someone and get tied in with someone. It just I got the company wrong. It was not one behemoth, but another. So I'll, um, I'll give you. I'll say you got it twenty five percent right because it, sure. because you got you got the company wrong. So now you're down to fifty, and you got the terms wrong. I'm not listen. It wasn't an acquisition; it was an investment in. So, but there was a there was an alliance formed, and I think it's gonna it's got to, it's got to help. I mean, ComC is already one of PWCC's biggest consigners. So, for those two companies, those two like technology technology companies, to be able to uh, integrate more for in in order to just operate more efficiently to to the to the to the benefit of both companies, customers who are one and the same in many cases makes a lot of sense. Like that's one that we, I almost feel we should have seen it coming. Don't you? Yeah, it really does. And you, you know, what's funny. I just sold a card on Com C via auction on eBay and it closed last night. So uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm like looking back, it's like, Oh, that's so obvious. You know, they are already working together so closely that, uh, that uh, in hindsight, everything is 2020. right? Of course. Yeah. In hindsight, it's like, Oh, that was obvious. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay. Uh, another thing that I think you've talked about when it comes to mergers or consolidation in the space is auction houses. What you, you talked about this a bit in one of your videos. Tell us, what are your thoughts on the the proliferation of new auction companies coming to the space? The the sort of uh, the ones that have existed for a while, the 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 the, the ones who we've seen the cornerstone auction companies. There are a good handful of them. What are your thoughts on how how all of them are and how they're operating? I don't have any opinion on the specific operational, but there's just, to me, there's too many. It takes so much time to look. If I'm looking for a specific player, like in my case, generally Mary Lemieux and Joel Embiid, like just entering the search and five different auction houses plus eBay, it's so time consuming. I really wish they would just merge or do something to make it less time consuming for me. Because I want to, I need to look on Golden. I need to look on PWCC. I need to look on eBay. I need to look on Alt. I need to blah blah blah. And then, like next thing you know, like my whole evening is gone. And so, the one thing that I found that was mildly helpful was on Alt. If you do a search, that all there are auctions that also show up from eBay, Golden, and PWCC, as well as Alt themselves. And so that's a time saver for me. So I just now go to Alt and do the search. But the problem with that is I discovered a couple of days ago is only graded cards show up on alt. So if there are any raw cards coming up on PWCC or Golden or whatever, which one did that I wanted to bid on, it doesn't come up. So I still need to do the whole rigmarole I've discovered in the last few days to, to go into the individual um, companies and, and search for them. And I wish I could just get an email from each of these companies saying, hey, here are the Joel B cards coming up this week. Here are the Barry Lemieux cards coming up this week. And I can just scroll and be done with it. Um, but here we are. It's just, there's too many. There there was a company that was doing that, that was aggregating all of the auction items from all of the companies. And, uh, they were, I know they reached out to me a couple of times. I I can't think of what they were called right now. Unfortunately, I know that they were actually based, uh, the two entrepreneurs were based out of Israel and come to think of, I don't think I've heard from them for a few months for, obvious worldwide issues uh maybe that's the case but in any event i can't remember what it was called but they were bringing together one email a day to you uh that would tell you what was available within you know your search parameters among all of the relevant auction companies and but i'm like you simon like i also i don't spend time looking at all the auction houses i i look at the ones that i'm used to that i like where i like their user experience you know, their, their, their interface. And if not, I just kind of don't don't look at them because it is a lot to see every day uh, or, or week or month even. But with that said, if you are somebody who has that amount of time available and you can scour all the auction houses, including some of the smaller ones, you can find some great deals and maybe find a little bit of arbitrage if you are into that and you do want to buy low in one marketplace, sell higher in another, there, or just add to your PC at a, at a more reasonable price. I think you can do that if you're looking at more and more auction companies. Would you? Does that make sense to you? It does, but I think 
it's now like so out there that there is these tiny option houses that I, I almost feel like even the smaller ones, they're generally covered so that the most they would go for or the least they would go for is like maybe 80 or 85% of comps, right? And so at that point, are you really making that margin that you really need? And so maybe there's a business idea for United. You could talk offline. Maybe we'll create this uh, this search engine email thing, you know, just, uh, just a couple of APIs and I'm sure we could, uh, could build something together. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. A couple of comments have come in. Um, <clears throat> Dan says in the vintage world, the auction houses each have their own niche. Consolidation would be the worst thing possible. There is overlap though, Dan, right there. There's lots of overlap, but I do, I hear what you're saying. And I think, I think maybe more than niche, they just have their customer bases and those that trust them because I mean, I get auction catalogs from several companies and it's a lot of the same stuff from each of them, but maybe some, some are experts in one area versus the other, but it doesn't mean that they're limiting what they're bringing out to those areas in which they're experts in. Professor says, one thing I like about PWCC is you can search the sales history of a card since their platform inception. That is a that is definitely a benefit. Uh, Vintage says, I think the auction house landscape is stabilized. I see REA taking market share, Memory Lane, Leland's, and a few others are fading a little. Yeah, I mean, I, REA is definitely, uh, I, I've seen them do good things. I work with REA. Um, I don't work with any of these other others listed. I bought from them. Well, I bought from Memory Lane. I don't think I've ever bought from Leland's, but I've certainly bought cards from Memory Lane. I mean, back, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. And, um, you know, great catalog, great product. And I don't know, I'm all for the competition. But at the same time as a seller, I think you are somewhat splitting the audience uh, among these various, uh, these various, like there's a lot of, there's, there's auction companies that we haven't even heard of that are out there running auctions and you'll see a card that's sold on some auction company that has really no branding within the space and that, you know, it can hurt some, it can hurt the seller. It can also hurt the buyer who wanted that card and didn't know that it was there. So um, there was a question too for you, Simon, from the professor. He says, what do you think about Mascot providing a service that lets you list from their platform to multiple platforms? I'm all for any innovation, any company that saves time. Time is valuable to everybody. So if there's a, if it does that, great. And I hope they get the success that they that they if that's what they're doing then that sounds like a great idea and kudos to that yeah i think it's great too i, th- I think it's a great service and i know uh, people who people seem to love it so and their card show integration seems to be taking off as well i haven't seen it in action i'm looking forward to uh collector's dream says uh rea is great for vintage also says heritage is heritage is huge i mean they they posted like billion in sales last year maybe four billion or 3.7 or some cr- now they sell more than just sports cards and memorabilia but huge numbers yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's like when when you're talking about billions with a B, then that's another level, right? Like then you're yeah. All right, let's talk about. Let's move on. The next topic: loaded boxes. Another one that gets. I know AIH if he's still with us. He he uh, creates a lot of content, like like a video every few days comes out on his channel about loaded boxes. Um, what you know? What are your thoughts on on AIH? What's his plat? What's his channel called? AH Cards or AH Sports? The AIH, you know, that kind of content that that is accusing the card companies of giving loaded boxes to certain group break platforms, like like whether it's a uh, Fanatics Live or whatnot, um, or eBay Live or Loop, any of these, uh, the you know, uh, Card Shop Live, rest in peace. Um, the the accusation that the that Panini Tops Upper Deck may be giving these loaded boxes to celebrity group breakers on bigger breaking platforms, um, you know, there's a lot of accusations being thrown around there. What are your? How do you digest that? And after you digest it, how do you spit that out? Yeah, I I would say I can never rule out everything, anything, right? Because we don't know we're not on the inside. Uh, so I can only react to some of the conspiracy theories, for lack of a better term, that I, I've seen. And there have been a couple talking about how the odds, and I made a video about this, about how the odds of probably backyard breaks or one of those companies 
the odds of them pulling out these four or whatever cards is one in like a bajillion or whatever the number was, right? And the, it's really not good math, for lack of a better phrase, uh, because it is true. The odds of pulling those four specific cards is one in, in a bajillion. But the problem is, I believe the that video or that theory was about Panini products. And these super high-end Panini products, maybe it was like maybe it was the logo men, double logo men, triple logo men, whatever it was. And there's multiples of them. The problem is Panini makes a lot of high-end stuff, like too many one-of-ones, too many logo men, too many one-of-one autos or whatever, that there are so many different permutations and combinations that it's actually kind of likely that someone like Backyard Breaks is going to pull four of these really high-end ones because there's just so many different permutation combinations. And, and if, you, if you remember high school math, like those numbers balloon really quickly when you have a lot of different options available because not only does Panini have a lot of high-end products, but they also have a lot of high-end brands. So if it's not National Treasures, it's flawless. If it's not flawless, it's immaculate. If it's not this, it's not that. And all of their stuff is supposed to be designed to be high-end. So when you have 45 one-of-ones that are of the rookies or of LeBron or whatever, you're kind of almost guaranteed to get some combination that in and of itself is very rare, but because there's so many different combinations, like if it weren't going to get these four, you're going to get like two of from here and one from there and one from there that again, the odds of those four happening is one in a bajillion, but there are a bajillion different combinations. So you're kind of bound to get one of them. Um, and especially if you're backyard breaks, opening a bunch of boxes, like just sheer brute force, you're going to get a bunch of rare cards, especially when the product's designed that way. And so that's why those type of conspiracy theories, I'm like, well, that's not, that's true, but it's also not true. Yeah. It, it's, I think it's, I think a lot of it is that uh, for these breakers that are breaking like just mass quantities, like 24 yeah. seven on four different or, or 10 different channels on whatnot, you're going to see, you know, they're going to hit big cards every so often. Um, there was a case I saw where I don't know who the athlete was, but the athlete, like it was a like a, a, a celebrity athlete, opened up a product and pulled his own card. You know, some things do seem too good to be true. And I don't know, I don't know if it's fact that there is no loaded boxes being directed to certain people or it is fiction. I don't know either way. I have no idea if it's if it is happening or it isn't. What I what I can say is that. I sure as heck hope it isn't. And if it is, yeah. if it is, I hope I hope they get caught and I hope they stop doing it. And and there should be some way out. There's it would be nice if there is a way to give the 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 hobby, the customers, the collectors, the the, the consumer some confidence to know that it's not happening. That that everybody who's opening a, a box or a pack has a fair and equal shot at pulling the card because the card company did not hold certain cards back and put them in boxes to go to certain people who are going to be broadcasting to thousands as a marketing, as a marketing initiative. Right. So I don't, I, I don't know if it's happening. Um, I, like I said, hope it isn't, but if it is, no, 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 that's not good. Don't be doing that. I don't care if it's for marketing. That's not right. Yeah. And the one thing I'll say is I would trust fanatics more because if, if I remember correctly, They've now hired Deloitte or someone as an auditor to audit that process to make sure there's no shenanigans happening and that everything's on the up and up. So I think that gives me hope um, that yeah. like, but I mean, yeah. like, everybody now. loves, everybody loves to have a conspiracy theory in it and everybody loves to put their tinfoil hats on their heads. So uh, especially I mean, in the hobby, so, I, like, I, I can only point to the math and say like, that's poor math. Um, and what actually is happening, you you don't know, I don't know, nobody knows, like, unless you're working within those four walls. So, I mean, yeah, even though Fanatics hired Deloitte, and I can speak, I worked for Deloitte for years. I was a senior manager at Deloitte. Um, I've worked in audit. I, I know, I know, I, I kind of, I, listen, I'm not I, I'm not on that engagement. I don't know what, what I didn't get with the terms of that. I don't know the scope of it. I don't know what that engagement looks like between Fanatics and, and Deloitte, but I'm, 
I doubt, and this is just me speculating, I doubt that there is a Deloitte representative at the pack at the place of packing 24-7. I doubt sure. that. So, I mean, listen, you've got an MBA. I got a, I've got I've I'm I'm well educated and, and a professional designation with 20 years experience in professional services. I am I am I'll use I'll use a term we use in professional services. I am cautiously optimistic that Deloitte has enough coverage to be able to give the readers of their report a 95% confidence level that there is no shenanigans going on at Fanatics, Tops, Panini. I know that's not because we're, we're talking about Deloitte here, but I can also tell you that there's no way that an audit company is going to give anything higher than 95% confidence. They just don't do that. It's just, they never go higher than 95%. So that 5% still exists. It's a one in 20 shot. It's a big <laughs> one in 20s a lot easier to hit than one in what 400,000 to hit a certain one-on-one. So I think it's a step in the right direction that they hire, you know, an external audit company to come in and audit their processes around fair and equal distribution. Is it foolproof? Absolutely not. What I'd love to read the report used to write those reports. I'd love to read the report and see what it says exactly. And then I'd like to go through their, the report of their procedures because they're also going to tell you, what now this is, I don't know if this is part of a, a public entity within Fanatics or a private, if this is public domain that we can read this report, but gosh, would I love to read that report because it would give me more information on, on how well I think um, they are protecting the consumer from loaded box shenanigans. Make sense? Yeah, I, I, would, I would also love to read the report. Maybe they release a report to to bring some confidence in their process, uh, Fanatic says, to say, hey, hey, collectors, I know just to give you, be transparent, give you as much information as possible. Here's a report, go read it, whatever. And like, I deal with audit a little bit in my day job as well. And I, this might be the first audit report I'd be excited to read. I'll just right. that. <laughs> uh, even the ones I used to write, I wasn't excited to read, let me tell you. Um, they're for the most point, point for, for the, for the for the most part, they are boilerplated and, yeah. uh, you know, they're, there's not, but, but this would, this would be a special engagement, right? This is not your typical yeah. audit review or compilation yeah. engagement. This is a, a different sort of, it's a special, a special engagement for sure. Uh, 1956 tops guy. I agree with this argument, but I would like to see greater transparency from the manufacturers. How do they verify fair distribution? Yeah. We, we, we just said, Matthew said that first, but we've stumbled into it, Matt. And yes, I think it's clear that Simon and I definitely agree with that. LGC says collusion at many levels is needed to achieve loaded boxes. Game theory suggests that a whistleblower will have incentive to spill the beans. Loaded boxes is not a thing. LGC has taken, excuse me, a pretty firm opinion that it is not happening. Uh, 1956 says state lotteries need to do this, and it's certainly possible to share, to, 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 to verify the distribution. I think you're right. Brendan Ryan says reasonable doubt is what these companies are hiding behind with these loaded boxes. Doesn't seem sustainable, but for now it's working. Uh, Michael says extraordinary claims requires extraordinary evidence. And yeah, I mean, theory is not evidence. And, you know, I've never seen a video that accuses any company of loaded box actually prove anything. And I don't think that they can. It's simply theory, whether it's tinfoil hat or conspiracy conjecture or just you know straight defamation i don't know it's just simply an opinion and it's an opinion you know it's an opinion but not all opinions have complete information upon which they are formed and that's where you have to really be careful whose opinions you are listening to the professor says if breaking is similar to a lottery why are the pack odds not as transparent uh, i think pack odds are they not I don't know. I thought they used to be on the on the packs themselves. They're not anymore, I guess. Yeah. Not for Panini, I don't believe. Oh, okay. tops, I believe they are. Do we need regulation? He goes on to say, maybe. I mean, I think a lot of people would say yes, but then it's one of those, well, be careful what you wish for things as well. That's just gonna increase prices because who's gonna pay for regulation? The the invoices are gonna be made out to the card companies, and then the consumer is gonna pay the price. 
Maybe that's okay, though. Maybe that's okay. Dan says, if Panini or whomever goes out of their way to deny a conspiracy theory, it gives oxygen. It does give, it gives oxygen to the discussion, I would say. I don't think it strengthens the theory as much as I think it gives oxygen to the discussion, Dan. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, Brendan says, let's see a tinfoil fractor to appease the <laughs> That's oh, tremendous. That have overtaken for comment of the night right there. Might be. Uh, the professor says, would the dynamics of transparency change once Fanatics goes public? Yeah, for sure. Laura says, wasn't there a recent question about the lack of security issues in Texas? Uh, and Orlando says, agree with Jeremy, just an opinion. Well, it is. And without evidence, there's, there's, it's just, opinion. these are just, they're not even opinions. They're, because to me, an opinion comes with good underlying information. And nobody has, the, unless you're an insider, no YouTuber has that information. So it's not even an opinion because opinions, I, I put at a higher level. It's a, it's a theory based on, conjecture that's all it is it's not even it's not it's a it's a theory it's a it's a weak theory at best i'm not saying it's not true i'm not saying they're not wrong sorry i'm not saying they're wrong i'm just saying it's it's a it's it's just a it's just a thought or an opinion uh that's a or a theory that's all that that's all it is uh michael says yeah let's get the government involved in the hobby that's a great idea um uh, and then Michael, this is, yeah, it's a blind assertion, right? Yeah, well, that's a really good way to put it. Uh, a blind assertion, Michael. I, I definitely like that. So does Simon. All right. All right. I think we're good on loaded boxes. I don't really have anything more to say, except that I know you've talked about it. You've done a video on it. Check out Simon's video on his YouTube channel where he talks about the math. He uses some numbers to get into it deeper. This is just a little preview for some of Simon's content itself. Let's let's switch it up here. Let's talk about the four criteria that you use to determine whether or not a player is someone that you want to invest in. Now, before I hand it over to you, though, I want to discuss the use of the word invest because not everybody likes that word in the hobby, right? A lot of people is like, well, I'm not an investor. I'm a collector. And then I always say, and you've heard me say it a million times, as soon as you are spending significant money on something, I think you have to consider the investability of it, unless you just don't respect the dollar and you don't care. You're willing to cut it, to buy a card for 10 grand and if it goes down to five bucks, ah, no skin off your back. That 10 grand would not have improved your life or you wouldn't have wanted it to. That's fine. For the sake of discussion, now that I get that out of the way, I'm going to use the word invest. And Simon, I'll read, I'll read it, the question to you again. You have four criteria that you use to determine whether or not a player is worthy of investing in and substitute collecting if you want. What are they and why do you why do you put yourself through this process when you are thinking about a new player? So in this video, I talk about the four criteria. It's because I look at history, honestly. I look at the, the cards from many years ago that are still valuable today and say, well, what meets those criteria, right? And these four criteria match up quite well. The first one is, are you a generational goat or what are the chances or probability that you become a generational goat? And that could be like a Mahomes, a Tom Brady, a LeBron, a MJ, Steph Curry, like Lemieux, Gretzky, all those type of players, right? Because if you're not a generational goat, you don't have long-term sustainable value. There are a lot of two-time all-stars who never made an MVP ballot, whose cards are in, like, they're they're worth nothing, right? Even their rookie cards are worth very little, unless it's, like, closer to vintage, and that's a whole other thing. But all of the cards that have value over time, they are all generational goats. They're, they're always, like, a, at some point in their sport, they've been either, like, one of the top players of, of, this, of that era. Uh, so that's the first one, generational goat. The second one is individual achievement. So it's, did they win an MVP? Are they on, for basketball, are they on an all-NBA team? And it, and it can't just be, this guy made an all-star team. Because in hockey, what, there's 20 all-stars every year. In basketball, there's 12. There's a lot of one- and two-time all-stars that have no long-term hobby relevance. So it's more about those higher levels of MVPs and all-NBAs or all-pro and NFL and those type of things, right? It's making becoming that top, top tier, that 0.1% that have long-term value. And that's what history has shown us, right? 
Um, and then the third one is the number of titles, number of championships. That's just, that speaks for itself. I don't need to explain that. But for all three of these things, if we're talking about current players, and a lot of current players, you know, people buy cards when they're in their second, third year, it's, it's unlikely that they'll have any of these things. So for me, it's the probability that they become a generational goat, the probability that they'll become an MVP, the probability that they'll win a title. And so a lot of these things are tied to your ability to look at the bigger picture and say, oh, this guy, he has elite level talent, but his basketball IQ is horrible. And he will never be able to make that extra leap to be whatever. Or when you're thinking about titles and championships, you have to look at ownership and management. The player can be great, but if he's surrounded by incompetence and he's just stuck on this team for five, six, seven years until he asks for a trade, it's kind of, it's a problem. And so when I think about titles and the probability of titles, I think about a player who everybody loves and who everybody agrees is a great player, but it's Luka Doncic. The management there has not been good. The ownership there just turned over. It's those type of things that people need to think about in terms of bigger picture. And then the fourth criteria is, does this player or does his personality, his play, does it inspire emotion? Is it is it inspirational? Does it make you feel a certain type of way? When you think about Tom Brady, when you think about uh, Michael Jordan, when you think about Kobe Bryant, when you think about LeBron James, like there's either the fire or the way they played, all this kind of stuff, right? And so if you're more of a shy personality and or you just kind of play in a somewhat boring way, you're less likely to build up that fan base, right? And so those are my four criteria. And for players in the current uh, that are currently playing, it's like the probability of hitting those four criteria. And so right away, there's a bunch of players where it's like, you'll never be an MVP. So like, don't even bother investing. If you want to buy the card because you like the player, like go ahead, knock yourself out. But for investment purposes, those right. are the four that I look at. Right. So, okay. That's a great way to say it. you're talking, you are talking about investing in this case, yeah. Uh, yeah. because any player is worthy of collecting by, uh, you know, at worst, their, their, their mother, you know what I mean? <laughs> their yeah. friends. So collect yeah. what you like, collect who you like. You don't need, it doesn't need to be investable. If you are simply collecting for the enjoyment of building a collection on somebody that you you admire or you had a personal connection with or whatever it is, nostalgic reasons, it doesn't matter. You like the cards, collect them. We are talking about investing in this case. I think those are four really good criteria. I have a couple follow-up questions and comments. The first one is when you talk about titles and you say you're gonna you you think what is the probability? Well, the problem with that. For you, I'm sure you've experienced this, Simon, is that in the case of Luca, those titles are already baked into the prices. Look at Mahomes selling his uh, NFL shield a couple years ago, like, what, three years ago for $4.3 million? Uh, that that shield had, 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 had rings built in. Now he's got the rings. Card's probably not worth that much anymore. So you have to be really – timing is so important as well. And I don't – maybe – Maybe timing isn't a criteria. Almost you take it for granted as far as your four criteria framework goes, but timing is so important. And I do think your, your, your discussion about titles is, well, in hindsight, okay, Michael Jordan, titles, LeBron James, titles, right? Um, Steve Eiserman, titles. Uh, I'm trying to think of someone. Sidney Crosby, titles. Connor McDavid, no titles. Probability he'll ever have one. I'm at like 50-50 right now, like at best, right? So tough to say. So that was my first comment was the baked in nature of titles and superstardom uh, on, on, on athletes uh, in their early years of, of the hobby. The second comment I have, and I don't think, maybe you can include your fourth criteria of inspires emotion. So the four, here, I'm gonna, the four criteria are generational GOAT, individual achievements, titles and inspires emotion do you have a waiting system for these four where do you wait like how heavily weighted is is titles compared to generational goat or individual achievements i don't have weights it's more like can you check all four of those boxes and that already narrows it down to such a small number that it's sufficient um it's just yeah, I would say there's no waiting. It's just, do I think you even have a chance at these? Because um, that cuts out 
I'd say 95% of players in the sport. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of, and unfortunately, a lot of players that I cut out are players that people have invested a fair amount of money in. Even the prices have gone down. I think for a lot of these players, especially these second tier non MVP players, is is uh, it's. I think there's some more room to fall for some of those players. And you know, yeah. And I think you also have to look at these players who maybe aren't generational goats, like that next tier, but they yet yet they have. They have this wide base of of loyal collectors of them, and that's what that's what an investor needs. At the end of the day, you need more collectors. Not you don't need investors. Well, some help, but they don't. But at the end, if everyone decides to to divest themselves of everything at once, you need collectors to take these things at the end because that's where that's what is driving these values for investing. So, with that said. I want to ask you what you think of MJ Collector's comment here. He says, I disagree because so many players check off all these boxes, yet only LeBron, Michael Jordan, Brady, and Gretzky are the ones that stand the test of time. So, I mean, I don't necessarily agree that those are the only four that stand the test of time because there are other players that have, you know, a loyal collector base, not on the level of those guys maybe, but, and I don't even know if LeBron makes that list. What, what what MJ Collector has done is given us the pinnacle. The only people he's missing are Mickey Mantle, uh, Muhammad Ali, and pick a soccer player, wh- whoever, you know, whether it's like a Ronaldo or, or a Pele or, or whoever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Messi, one of those guys. But wh- how do you respond to that comment, Simon? So I can only really speak to basketball, if we're going to be totally honest. And <laughs> Steph Curry meets the criteria, and he's definitely on that list. And he's definitely hobby value. He's like redefined the sport, right? So I think there are other players that do that, um, that are also long-term collectible. Like, again, Steph Curry, uh, Kobe Bryant comes to mind, also fits all four of those criteria. Uh, if I think about basketball, you go back a little bit later, then it's like the Wilts and the Creams and that, and that type of thing. And again, they meet all four of the criteria. And again, people uh, still want to collect those cards, even though they played in the 60s and 70s and 80s for a career. And think about, okay, let's think about Luca for a second, because Luca is not listed here by MJ Collector, rightfully so. But fast forward like 20 years from now, you know, Luca has a lot of fans and he's got a personality. He's a generational goat, I think. I think he's on the cusp of that. Uh, individual achievements, maybe, you know, Jokic is in his way, but maybe he's he's going to have more and more as the years go by. Titles yet to be seen. Does he inspire emotion? I think he certainly does. That might be the most important of all, is inspiring emotion. It really might be because emotion is what nostalgia is all about. We talk about nostalgic value, emotional value. If you inspire emotion, that might be better than the rest of them. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking out loud here. I'm not, you know, I'm just kind of processing it. But um, 20 years from now, there's going to be a lot of people who are, you know, from 10 to 25 years old right now. Who, who Luke, who is their favorite player? 20 years from now, are they going to want to relive their their youth from the 2020s and, and buy Luca cards? I mean, I want to buy cards of players I watched in the 80s and 90s. Now that's what I'm buying the most of. What are your thoughts? I, I think there's definitely a case that people want to buy cards of their favorite players from their, you know, from when they were younger, right? So like, I, you know, Mary Lemieux my guy. That's when I was a kid in the 90s. Uh, and so... That's definitely the case. It's just, will there be enough of those people in 10, 20 years to buy it, right? Because if it's just a handful, then it doesn't really mean anything. I think the the inspired emotion piece, uh, you might be right. I think that might be the most important one because I think about someone like Tim Duncan, who fit the first three, generational GOAT, MVPs, titles galore, not exactly an exciting personality or or style of play. And as a result, if you compare him with Kobe, like to me, it's fairly obvious that Tim Duncan was a better player. And I know that I'm going to get a lot of hate for that, but like clearly he was a better player. Like it's not close. But um, or like they're top, they're both probably top ten, but he's higher on the list. Not, I wouldn't say shouldn't say not close. But you look at the card values, and it's not close either in the other way, right? And so that's why it inspires emotion. You might be right that it's the one that's most important. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that that makes a lot of sense. I feel like I'm learning something here tonight uh, as oh, we yeah. think through as we think through these things. 
Uh, hello from Alan Turwell. Alan Turwell from Waxstat. What's going on, Alan? Good to see you, buddy. Uh, Sean Red says you're bang on about goats and championships. That's what I collect. So interesting because Sean Red is not talking about individual achievements or inspires emotion, and that's okay. There are people out there that are that don't need to hit all four criteria. Maybe Sean does too, but if those are his two most important uh, features of a player, I think that's really fair. And, and, I, and I like that. I like that because it gives you a target. It gives you more than three players to collect. I collect a lot of players. And that's what brings me joy in the hobby. If I only had one player to collect, I think, and I, you know, okay, who would it be? Probably Wayne Gretzky or Michael, or Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan. And I'd really run out of money quickly on either of those guys. So it's <laughs> nice to have other players uh, to collect as well, right? So, um, okay. Michael says, not the way the Oilers are playing right now. They might win it all this year. He's talking about Connor McDavid. Hey, they did win 10 in a row. Uh, I don't know how they're doing today. But, yeah, the Oilers are doing all right lately. That is that is for sure. Brendan Ryan says, one of these days, a prospect with a GOAT potential baked in has to exceed expectations. Whether or not it affects prices, if achieved, will be interesting. I think that's exactly – I think that's a great kind of thing to think about. Whether or not – they exceed those expectations. How will that affect pricing? And I kind of thought, and it's early, but I thought Victor Wembanyama might just because of his wingspan and the guy can dunk from the free throw line. Like I was kind of like, maybe this guy is that guy still young, you know, maybe, you know, he's still figuring out the NBA, but he's doing okay. But I was, I thought, man, this guy could get 40 points a night. He's more like 23, 24 sort of thing. But what do you see for Victor Wembanyama considering he is, the rookie of the month, right? Or the rookie, the flavor of the month rookie right now. He, he, I haven't watched a lot of his games, uh, but the stuff he does is incredible. Like both on offense and on defense, because he can block out the sun uh, if they didn't play with the roof. Like it's like the NBA has never seen anybody like him before with his skill level, because he can also somewhat dribble for a guy that big. Um, and he does this weird, like, one-legged three-pointer I've never seen before. So he definitely has the potential to be one of the all-time goats. But we're half a season in. And the one concern about him is that he's, I think, what is he, seven foot four? And basically anybody who's been seven foot three or taller um, has had a higher or has seen some injury problems. Yeah. Um, and so that's the concern I would have with him. I believe maybe – I forget how tall Kareem was. He might be the exception – yeah, but, he, he's not built like Shaq. Let's let's put yeah, that out there. Yeah, and like he's he's a sick right now. He might like fill in a little bit. Um, but I would say he definitely has potential to become a generational coach and then win those individual awards. And then in terms of titles, how's the management in San Antonio? How's that? Yeah. Right? right. And then the inspires motion, uh TBD on that one. Maybe he's a fiery guy, but he's 18 years old and a kid, but all right, let's move on. L yep. LGC says, does Nathan McKinnon meet your criteria, Simon? Go through, I will go through this quickly. I will defer to you on that one because you're more of a hockey guy than I am at this point. Sure. Generational GOAT. I mean, he's a he's he's just like a notch beneath, you know, the the Crosby's and the McDavid's as far as on ice skills go. He's got cups, probably gonna win one or more. So that's good. Individual achievements. I'm not sure what he has. For, like all-star games coming out of his yin-yang, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know what else he has on top of that. I don't think he has a heart trophy, which is most valuable player. That would be nice. Um, you know, uh, a Conn Smythe trophy for the MVP of the playoffs. He might have one. I think McCarr had one. I don't know if he has the other one or not. Uh, but inspires emotion. I don't, he doesn't inspire much emotion. You know, he's, you know, he's, which is funny because neither does Sidney Crosby from a personality perspective, but he's transcended it to the point where he, he, he inspired emotion when he scored the golden goal in, in yeah. 2011. So he does inspire emotion, but he like walks the walk, you know, he doesn't need to inspire emotion when he's being interviewed, although he is a good interview. He's a professional. He's a real, and I was thinking about that when you're talking about Tim Duncan too, some of these guys take their craft so seriously that they are just all business all the time. And I don't know Tim Duncan, but maybe that was the case with him. Certainly, I believe to be the case with Sidney Crosby. When you see Sidney Crosby snicker or laugh or make a funny or sarcastic comment, it's kind of like a special moment. Um, but that's what I'll say about Nathan McKinnon. 
The professor says once you pick your player, you then need a criteria on which card or parallel. Yeah, then you got to figure out what you're buying. That's a whole other discussion, but that is definitely on point there from the professor. Linda says McKinnon lacks the MVP, though that might change. Yes, that could change any year with him. He is that good. Like he's just a notch below the true goats, I would say. And he could get there one day. Jake Dahl says, what about players who never won championships but get hobby love like Ernie Banks? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. That's where the inspiring emotion is so important because I think if you're a player that inspires emotion, you are no longer required to have won the title. And I, I know there's lots of players that fit that bill. So uh, Michael says the guy from Edmonton who can only speak about basketball. I know you can talk some hockey too, but there's that's a whole other story, a long story. Maybe we'll, we'll next time I'm on, I'll explain how that happened. <laughs> All right, uh, Steve Clifton says I've recently shifted to picking up cards from favorites from my youth: Pete Rose, Gilbert Perot. That is what the hobby's all about, right there. Connecting you to your youth. If you like to be connected to your youth, the hobby is very good at that. 86 Collectibles speaks my mind. Crosby is the GOAT. He is the, the modern-day GOAT. You know, before that, you had Mario Lemieux. You had Wayne Gretzky. They, that, that was concurrent GOATs, really. Um, you know, in hockey, you had Bobby Orr, Gordy Howe. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Simon, let's, we have to hit this one. This will be our last one. The paradox of investment cards. I am going to just shut up and let you, because again, Simon did a video on this and I would like you to explain your thoughts, what you kind of summarize your video, give the audience a bit of a, uh, you know, the, the cliff notes, the Coles notes on that. And I'll come back with any questions or comments I have after. Yeah. So the general theory in that video is Cards are valuable because they're rare, right? They're special. There's something special about them. And when I think about investment cards, I'm thinking about for hockey, it's young guns. For for basketball and football, it's prism base or prism silver, right? And those are the commodity cards. Those are the cards that like you know people say are kind of measure the market, right? And why is it that they're able to be the benchmark for a certain player? And, and why they're used as like, oh, well, his silver prism went up 10%. So that means his whole market is up 10%, right? And they were used as this benchmark and they're the investable card. The reason why they're the investable card is because their pops are usually like the two to 3,000 um, at least. Uh, and that means there's a lot of sales history. And so they transact a lot every day. Like I remember the Lucas silver prism when I made the video, there was I think eight sales within a week. So it, like the value is very easily defined. The paradox is that these investment cards do not fit the criteria of why cards are valuable. Because again, cards are valuable because they're rare. These investment cards are not rare by their definition because the whole reason why they're investment cards is because they have all the sales history. So the paradox of the investment cards is that investment cards are poor investments because there's too many of them. And you know, I, I go into a little bit more in my, a lot, a lot more in the, in the video, but that's generally the crux of it is that like the logic circle can't be completed. Uh, with with how how that how investment cards are not actually good collectibles. So you're you're using the term investment cards. I think for me to really get a grip of this, I think I have to sub in a different word and tell me if I'm off base here. But the word I would replace investment cards with is commodity cards. Those that are heavily liquid. Okay, thank you. Heavily liquid. A bit, you can you can go find one on on any online marketplace, any card show, any LCS, they're going to be on the shelves. The Upper Deck Young Guns, the Panini Prisms, the the Bowman, I don't know what the baseball one is, forgive me. Uh, but you know, we know for we know the Panini products, the Upper Deck's products, which ones those are. I know baseball has theirs too. To me, yeah, those are what a lot of people think they're investing in. But and that's what like people who aren't in the hobby that haven't asked me about a hockey card since Connor McDavid came into the league in 15-16 are now asking about Connor Bedard. And they they all they know is young gun. When can I get his young gun? And it's because they think they're investing in it. I think you're like this is exactly on your point. Whereas these aren't, and maybe that's what you were saying, they're not really investment cards. They're commodity cards. Now you can it's more like if you want to think of them as investment cards, they're for day trading because they're highly volatile because they're yes. always selling. Highly volatile that's what your date. You want to day trade in the hobby? You can't day trade RPAs or uh, you know 
super super rare cards. You can day trade the commodity card, which includes the Young Guns, the, the Prism Silvers. It includes the, the 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle. That's a commodity card. The Wayne Gretzky, 79 Opeachy, the 86 Fleer, Michael Jordan. These are all commodity cards because there's thousands available on any given day, right? So are they really investments? Well, depends on what your time horizon is. Depends on, on you know, your, your, your uh, aversion or, or lack thereof to volatility. So what's the then, you know, if what, because you say you can't close the loop on this. And I agree, like to me, these are not investment worthy cards, mostly because I'm not nimble enough to watch a game one night. The guy scores a hat trick. I list his cards on eBay or PWCC or ComC or wherever. I'm not that fast. So when I'm investing in a card, it's got to be not those ones. It's got to be something that is less volatile, more rare and scarce that I have a, and I have a longer horizon on. Uh, please respond to all that. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I, the I also don't have the time. I have a day job where I don't have time to sell and buy and nickel and dime, basically get the 5 or 10% on the margins. And so that's why I'm selling. I have a bunch of, of these commodity cards, and I, that is a much better term than investment card. I'm selling a bunch of the commodity cards I, ha- I have because when I re-entered the hobby, that's what the hobby told me. You have to buy prisms and prism silvers for basketball. But in hindsight, that wasn't good information. And so I've adapted, I've evolved, and I'm getting rid of all that stuff and buying more unique cards. Um, generally, either it's like a color match or you know, it's an auto or it's a serial number thing. Um, or there's something else unique about it, which, you know, I have a card here that I can show you eventually, but cards that are not just kind of, oh yeah, I have one of the 1800 in the pop. Okay, great. Like, what am I, like, it's, it's not exciting to own it once you actually have it. And so it's just serving as like an investment vehicle. That's what people think. It's like an investment vehicle for the player when it might actually be like, it has the player on the card, but the card itself is kind of boring and there's nothing really unique. The one, the one, the, so I agree. I agree with all that. Uh, the one thing that I'll say though is that, from a collecting perspective, and this is not the investing piece. From a collecting perspective, I totally understand why people would want to collect the, you know, whether it's the Upper Deck flagship series one, series two, and extended with all the young guns, or the Prism basketball or football set with all the rookies. Maybe you do the silver parallels because they're nicer. Those commodity type cards, they're generally cheaper than the rarer cards. I mean, they're more expensive than ever before. Well, not, they're more expensive than they were pre-pandemic anyway. Um, but I understand why people would want to collect these because you usually are getting a very comprehensive you know, uh, collection of players on the checklist. And that's nice if you're trying to, if you want to have, you know, on your bookshelf behind you, a binder for each year, you can flip through, have all the rookies. That's nice. I used to be that collector. I wanted to complete sets every year, make sure I had everybody's rookie. I didn't care that everyone else on my street had those cards too. That's what I wanted to have. Now it's, you know, I've evolved from there, whether I've evolved for the better or worse. I don't know. To me, I think the better, and it's not at all how I collect. I do not want to be prisoner to any checklist. I'm not a prisoner. I am. I shouldn't. There are a couple of exceptions where I am prisoners to checklist, but for the most part, um, I'm not a prisoner to a checklist. And uh, it's really helped me grow as a, as a collector and, and a hobbyist. So the one thing I'll say, though, is that you're using the word collecting there. You're not investing. Yeah, I did. I did use the word collect there. I did. So that's different, right? That's different. And I was just, what I was trying to do there really was just give, you know, if anyone listening or watching right now collects young guns every year, silver-based prisms, I don't want them to feel like we're, we're, we're saying don't do that or you're, you're, you're approaching the hobby in the wrong way. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. So that's why I, I, I wanted to get that out is say, no, yeah. if you're collecting collect young guns they make for a great collection don't expect to get rich off them because there's tens of thousands of each one produced simple as that and so yeah, go ahead so yeah the the one thing i will say though is i'm selling off i have again joel and is my guy and i'm as i've kind of evolved my thinking i'm selling off all the prism based psa 10s that i have that i bought the one that i will be keeping though is the bgs 10 and because that is a uh, nicer grade, a higher grade, and that's actually somewhat unique and does not have a pop count in the 1600s or whatever it is, right? So uh, you can still get those cards, but if there's still something unique about them, 
like a BGS 10 as opposed to a PSA 10, that makes it slightly different and slightly more interesting to me anyways, both as an investor, well, but also as a collector. And to, you're not alone to a lot of people in the hobby uh, who are, you know, um, it's, yeah. I put a, I put a story on my, on my Instagram today uh, that said something like, um, Maybe we should rename it from the hobby to the pasture because it's there's so many all, all the sheep and goats and goats. We know what goats are my reference to sheep was just, you know, collecting what everyone else is collecting, collecting what you're being told to collect and being really just being uh, being at the mercy of yeah. the big grading companies and being like, well, it's, you know, it has to be in that even, you know, for for their for all for their pros and their cons. So when I hear you say, you know, a BGS 10, I think to myself, yeah, it's a very expensive piece of plastic. The card inside is really not going to be much better than the nicest PSA 10 or, you know, or even a strong BGS 9.5. Like there, it's so, there's so, it's such a fine difference there. And it is opinion and your BGS 10 could have been a BGS 9.5 if it was at a, you know, anyway, whole different thing there, but, um, but, uh, but hey, the hobby in general puts a lot of value into those plastic holders. And um, if that's important, that's important. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to judge it any more than you may have uh, sensed. I was just there. <laughs> All good. All right. Um, David Kaplan says McDavid young guns have appreciated quite a bit. Same with Crosby. Uh, they have, they have over time, but they went, they went on, they had their ups and downs along the way. It was not, it was not a straight line. It was not a straight line um, at all. Yeah, the pasture. I, I I had to make sure. Do goats and sheep gets raised in pastures? I confirmed that before I put it out there. But yeah, the pasture. All right, Simon. This has been a lot of fun, man. Over two hours has gone by really quick. Uh, fun show. Lots of topics. Layton coming on. Had some good discussion with him as well during the vintage spotlight. Uh, we're gonna wrap this episode up, guys. In the chat, get your final comments in i want to thank you all for your comments and questions tonight simon give you a chance to kind of say goodbye and sign off yeah so yeah thanks for having me on jeremy this is a lot of fun like i can't believe two hours has passed by uh i'll give a I guess a minor plug for my youtube channel uh like i said the three pillars are generally uh the business of sports cards the economics of sports cards and data analysis of sports cards, right? And so those are three things to look at on my channel. Uh, on the homepage, uh, there are playlists for these three different topics. So if that'll make it easier, if you're like, oh, I suddenly want to become an economic, know all the economics of sports cards, then you just click on the economic playlist and grab a drink and spend some time watching that. But uh, but thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. No, my, my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Brendan Ryan says, live stream excellence. Gentlemen, thank you, Brendan Ryan, cardboard profits as collecting and long-term investing are eerily similar, perhaps with the exception of cards that have sentimental value that exceeds market value. Always insightful, cardboard profit is. Check out cardboard profit, everybody. Uh, he's written a book, and we've got a video on my YouTube uh, channel with cardboard profit. Boston Swayman says, it's crazy. What is this about? 378 million people live in North America alone, 8.1 in the billion in the world. The card number 3,000 less isn't considered rare. Crazy. I know everyone doesn't collect sports cards, but still crazy rare. It, it's a good point, but there, you know, there are, there's just lots of cards out there. But Boston Swayman, I've had those thoughts before, and um, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Mike Double V, another thoughtful, broken show. Thank you, Mike. Laura, thank you for your time and being here. We appreciate it. Dan says, I can't grab a drink. I'm on a dry January. Michael says, thanks for another great night. Jeremy, happy trails, Simon, everyone. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Fowl Five Ball. No after hours. Thank you, Sean Red. Thank you, LGC. You're the dragon, he says. All right, guys. That's it. Tomorrow night on the channel, the PWCC Weekly Hockey Show with Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show. The next night is the MC Mondays Live, the most action in hobby content. Monday nights here on Sports Cards Live on the MC Monday's live show. Collectors Dream Orlando, thank you very much, Simon. Thank you again. And everybody, with that, this episode of Sports Cards Live is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.